Hello and welcome to the Upon Further Review podcast brought to you by Field Street Baptist Church. On this podcast, your host Cody Kitchen sits across the table from Dr. John Hall as he reviews his Sunday sermon from the week before. Welcome to Upon Further Review podcast, the show that takes a deep dive into Pastor John's sermon from the Sunday before. I'm your host, Cody Kitchen, and today we're talking about Luke chapter 20, verse 1 through 19. 1 through 19, which the title of the message was The Evocative Ministry of Jesus. And joined with me, as always, is Dr. John Hall. Good afternoon, everyone. Make sure, as always, you listen to the whole episode so that you can find out what's stupid in today's yes. That Stupid segment. We have a doozy. It's a good one. Yes. You don't want to miss it. Yes. For sure. Well, as always, let's get started. And as you prepared this message, what are some things that came to mind? Well, the first item that came to mind was how evocative the ministry and message of Jesus was for his contemporaries. Mm. And there's no escaping this. As you study his life and his teachings and his sermons, Jesus was edgy. (laughs) Not edgy like today's edgy, but edgy in the sense that it was so founded on truth Mm. and it was amazing how people responded to his teaching and his preaching you had the religious people who often responded with just outright anger and rage whereas the non-religious meaning the non-professionally religious embraced him he's quite popular with the people and i think it's instructive for us and so when we look at his, his words, like we looked at this past Sunday, it's easy to see, especially if you're told up front, you know, hey, today we're going to look at the evocative ministry of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Then you see it more clearly and plainly mm-hmm. in the text. So that's what first came to mind was just the, the, the nature of his ministry, the intentionality of his ministry to evoke response, how his teaching stuck with people, but it certainly called forth a variety of responses. Hmm. That was my first thought. Yeah, that's good. And as you have already said, Sunday you preached, you know, on Jesus's authority and how his authority was questioned, and which evoked a sort of aggression, as you've already said, from the chief priests. And in that, you gave us two key emphases from the text of Scripture, which the first was that Jesus's authority is questioned in verses one through eight. In we are informed through the text that Jesus was teaching and preaching, and he is confronted by a group of people, which represents, as you told us on Sunday, the leadership of Israel. You tell us that this was a challenge to the Lord's authority. And then we see that Jesus asked them a question that made, made the dele- delegation think. They did not know how to answer this question. And then you tell us that this question and them answering what it did was it exposed the hypocrisy. Mm. And so a question I have is how can we respond to those kind of people in our day-to-day that are more interested in arguing than the true pursuit of truth? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Obviously, one approach is the one Jesus employed, which was to counter with a question of your own with the intent in this case, as it is laid out in the text to expose their hypocrisy. They really weren't 
interested where he got his authority. They knew where he got his authority. Everyone knew. They chose not to know. They were just engaging him because they were furious at him. And so he counters their question with the question of his own. So that's one way. The other way is just, you know, maybe it, depending on who it is, what the re- nature of the relationship is with the person that's asking the question, if you have a history with this person, if you know if it's good-natured, argumentative, being argumentative, is that the right way to say it? You can kind of handle that people, those kinds of folks. But argumentation, just to hear one argue, it's kind of hard to move the needle hmm. with those kinds of folks. So I think it's contingent upon the person, the circumstances, how long you know the person. Sometimes you're just better off walking away. Right. Other times, though, ask them a question or absorb their question and take a stab at the answer. But if, if there's a sincerity of seeking truth, that's one thing. Versus just, I'm just trying to be annoying by asking you a bunch of questions that you already know the answers to, (laughs) and you know how I'm going to answer that question. So why are you? Why do you keep coming at me with questions that you know how I'm going to respond? So I I don't know. That's that's a stab at it. You you might have a much better answer than that. No, that's pretty good. (laughs) It's okay if you do. No, I mean my answer would have been. uh, we have a few examples of what Jesus does in Scripture. Yeah, right. And uh, he's the greatest example, mm-hmm. even though he he knew how to answer it and why to answer it the way he did because yeah. he knew what was coming next. He, well, yeah, and then he has a uh, an intellect and an intellectual horsepower that I'll never have on my best day. Yes, and you can always tell the authenticity of people, mm-hmm. usually. Not, yeah. not always, but, you know, if they truly want to know or mm-hmm. if they're just wanting what I call Facebook arguments that are so pointless. Yeah, and go nowhere, really. And go nowhere. Nothing gets solved, and the feelings get hurt, and then it blows out of proportion, and then you have a 100 other people who chime in, and the next thing you know, you have a real forest fire. That's exactly right. <laughs> Not interested. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think just going back to, as you said, either ignoring it in the sense of, you know, answer the question how you can and let them figure it out, mm-hmm. the rest, or... Ask them a question. Yeah, right. I like that better. Yeah. I'm not always real quick on that sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, sometimes I can walk away from a conversation and go, oh, I wish I would have asked that or said this. Uh, so that's another reason why we admire the Lord's dexterity. Absolutely. He was certainly nimble and could feel those questions because he knew why and could get to the heart of why they were asking something so he could craft his own question to expose, in this case, their hypocrisy. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think too, I think about how when I know a big question is coming or someone's asked me a question and I ask them, okay, give me some time to think thoughtfully through that Mm -hmm. question and I will give you an answer, is Jesus did that on the fly. Yeah. And I think about the pins and needles that we walk on, you know, especially leaders of how can we answer this um, with truth, but also in a loving way. Mm-hmm. But Jesus did it, and I'm sure he walked on pins and needles in a way, but he did it so flawlessly mm-hmm. and did it so. And so it's that part, as even you said before, and you said it on Sunday too, it's what's so amazing about Jesus' ministry is that he was quick on his feet. Mm-hmm. He 
knew the Father, so he knew how to answer. And I just that's what always amazes me right. is is that we as humans, obviously, you know, those things we walk carefully around and try to answer as best as we can. And Jesus just answered them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it always yeah. gets me. And so it's good. Yeah. You had a second emphasis in which we looked closer to the parable that Jesus direct toward his opponents in these verses of 9 through 19. And in this parable, we see that the vineyard represents Israel's privileged status as the covenant people of God. We see, then see that in this parable, the three vine growers beat three separate servants up in this parable. And we see that the violence of these servant, servants, you tell us, represents the abuse of the Old Testament prophets. And then we get to verse 13, and we're given this reference to the owner's son, which you identified as Jesus, and their plan was to kill him to get his inheritance. So my question, and kind of a softball question in a, in a sense, is, is, is this parable a part of Jesus' foreshadowing the fulfillment of the Old Testament through his death and resurrection? <laughs> Thank you so much for that question. <laughs> It's like asking a grandfather, which grandchild do you love the most? <laughs> uh, of course, um, it is definitely uh, an, an illusion, not illusion, but an, an illusion alluding to the Lord's death and the destruction of Jerusalem, which, of course, took place in AD 70. And we'll hear much more about that later in Luke's gospel, but when we get to that portion that's known as the Olivet Discourse. But, um, yes, it's obvious that he was alluding to that. Um, and, and there's plenty of this all over the Old Testament. It was completely foretold, prophesied, laid out as clearly as you could. I mean, if you want to find it, you'll find it. It's Even if you're not looking for it, it almost jumps off the page. Uh, the death of Christ was inevitable. It was ordained by God. Um, the, the life of Christ was utterly on a collision course with Golgotha. So yes, the answer to that question is a resounding yes. And it's crazy to <laughs> me that, and we've talked about this before on this podcast, that it, when you, especially in the way that we're coming back into Luke, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, looking back which i think is masterful but in in this the way that happened but now even looking at it in this way it's almost as if how could these people not see it right and there's a lot to that and i know we could talk about that for a long time but the point that i'm getting across is it's just so interesting to me how jesus is setting himself up to where he he's going to be on the cross to reveal himself as he's already done you know as the son of god mm-hmm. but offering to everybody yes. not to just jews and that's what to me i'm always reminded of is how remarkable that that plan was from the beginning mm-hmm. and how from as you just said the old testament is telling us these things and then here jesus is on you know telling these people that this is a what what you're about to do to me and it's about to be offered to more than just right you right um, I don't know. It, it just, it's always, it's comforting, hmm. but it's always just how he's made it so plain through scripture. Right. And how they could have missed that. I don't know. Right. So. Right. Yeah. That's, 
That's a good point. Um, it, the Bible says in John's gospel, in the first chapter, that he came to his own and his own received him not. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm in a text right now preparing a sermon for August, um, and I'm dealing with a text that talks about how they didn't, their eyes had not been opened yet. <laughs> and so God is working on so many levels. That's why he's God. Right. And his ways are mysterious. Um, masterful, yes, as you've already com- commented, but um, I think you see that I say it probably too frequently, but uh, it may not have its effect like I would hope, but I stated Sunday, you've got to see the real genius in what mm-hmm. Jesus did and how he responded to them. Right. Was John's ministry of heaven or of earth, of God or of man. Yeah. And they were like, oh, we don't know. <laughs> it was perfect. Yes. Well, neither am I going to tell you by what authority I do these things. So I see that real genius. And, and, and no wonder he just kept them on their heels, yeah. even though they were, they were trying to find a way to kill him. It wasn't just to make him look like a fool or embarrass him or just expose him as a false prophet. They wanted him dead. Yeah. It's interesting. That Stakes interesting. were real high, and he just, he just never missed Jesus. Yeah, and it's a perfect example. Of he didn't want to waste his breath either. No, he, no, <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. He was very – I don't see anything random about the life of Christ. Yeah. I used to think, you know, maybe he was just – spontaneously responding, you know, as, as life came along. But as we have it recorded in the Gospels, um, it it just, I don't, I don't see anything that's random about his words, his actions, what he did, what he didn't do, you know, who he, who he healed or who he didn't. He didn't heal everyone. Right. Oh, yeah. You continue the second emphasis by telling us that Jesus interprets the parable for us um, in verse 15 through 19. You tell us that the owner of the vineyard should come and judge them and give the vineyard to others. Mm-hmm. This means salvation would extend beyond the Jews and include the Gentiles. Yes. And these leaders rejected Jesus, got angered by his parable and the authority in which he possessed. Mm-hmm. And again, you did it so masterfully in your invitation on Sunday, and you said, quote, you will be judged based on what you do with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I've already told you this, and I've said this plenty of times. If I was not saved already, this is another <laughs> instance in which I would have walked that aisle. Sure. But my question in that is how should we, and I know this is kind of a, you know, an easy question, but how should we live our lives once we understand the authority of Jesus. Yeah, I'm glad you're asking that question. Well, two words, love and obedience. Uh, Jesus says in the Gospels that if you love me, you will obey me. And typically we are, we're usually more inclined to obey someone who has legitimate authority over us. We may not always like it, and we may rebel sometimes, but ultimately There are people in our lives who do have authority over us, and Mm -hmm. certainly at the top of the list is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as an evidence of our love for him 
and recognizing his authority, then we seek to obey him and live a life that's worthy of him and pleasing to him and that imitates him and that is yielded to him. So I, as I think about the question, I, I think that is utterly important. It's love and obedience in that we actually demonstrate our love for Christ by being obedient to his commands. And, and he has all authority to issue the commands. And so he's really, in effect, the commanding officer, if that helps you uh, sort that out. But he, you know, he's my Lord. He's the one to whom we answer ultimately. And so I would hope that all of us are growing in our love for the Lord. And out of that love, it's demonstrated by obedience, mm-hmm. keeping his commands. So that's, that's where I'd go with that's that. Good. You said this morning, and I'm not going to quote you because I, I won't be good at quoting it, but <laughs> in Rhett this morning as we started the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. you said something along the lines, hopefully I'm getting it, is you know the Sermon on the Mount is a perfect masterpiece. You know, the sermon is which Jesus preached that is an example of how we should live here on this earth mm. awaiting the kingdom to come mm. he said it was around those lines right. um and I, I was thinking that as you were just saying that is we've been given that example mm. and pretty plainly in the sermon of the mount of what it looks like and throughout scripture mm. of what it looks like to walk in that authority right and be obedient right and so yeah what it looks like to be a citizen in his kingdom obedience is a big thing because yeah. jesus ties obedience with love if you love him, you will obey him. Uh, it's like your love for Allison, my love for Beth. Yeah. Uh, Allison's love for you, uh, Beth's love for me. There's an obedience there, not a, not a, you know, warped, subservient, sure attitude, but submitting one to another. And our submission to Christ is an evidence mm-hmm. of our love for. For him. That's good. Yeah. As we close, what are some of your final thoughts, your last words? Hey, final thoughts. I want to give a plug for next Sunday's message, and I think we'll have a lot to talk about at the podcast. I know this was a hard one um, to to come up with questions, compelling questions. So thank you for your efforts. I know it's not easy every week. But I want to encourage everybody who's listening to this podcast, tell your friends that Sunday's message is entitled, Is It Right for Us to Pay Taxes? (laughs) They approach Jesus and ask him, should we pay uh, our taxes to Caesar? Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar? And his answer is just brilliant. Hmm. They were trying to trap him again. And get him, you know, in a pickle. And they just can't. It's foolish business to try to do that yeah. with Christ. And we see this over and over in the gospel accounts. But we're going to run that down and see the genius of his answer. And I'll admit, when I wrote that sermon, it was right in the middle of paying taxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, was, I, I admit, I, was, I've been angry. I have been angry about my tax situation this year. Yeah. And so I kind of wrote that with some anger going on. So I had to, you know, ask the Lord for help to temper all that, but no pun intended. Uh, However, I I think, I I think people will be interested to see 
what the Bible says about this. Yeah? And the Bible will once again, God will demonstrate that His Word is amazingly applicable and relevant for our lives. So that's my final word. Now for our That Stupid segment, where we tell you what's stupid. So John, tell us what's stupid today. Okay, thank you. Uh, I think um, we want to return back to the NFL. Oh, good. It's, it's just, you know, it's a big deal in American culture. Yes. So I read recently that there was this writer who works the sports beat, and the writer came out and predicted the wins and losses for the 2023 season for each team, all 32 teams in the NFL. And I just think, how stupid is that? <laughs> Secondly, it's stupid because how many people like you commented earlier are going to go out and now place their bets? Their life savings. Yeah, regrettably. <laughs> They're really the only game I care about is the <laughs> game where the Dallas Cowboys travel to uh, Santa Clara and play the San Francisco 49ers at Levi Stadium. I'm betting the farm on that game. <laughs> I, I'm not really – I don't bet, but – I just think the whole notion is just these people don't have anything else to write about. It's it's a dry time in professional sports. Yes, that's stupid. and if your assignment is to follow the NFL, I mean you're just like, oh, okay, I'll just sit, I'll sit in a cubicle and just guess at wins and losses of every NFL team, and then based on those wins and losses, they got various uh, primetime games. Of course. So you have, like, some teams, they don't even get a, a single primetime televised football game. Let me guess the Texans. The Texans didn't get very many. <laughs> They're in the cellar, man. <laughs> it's bad. The Cardinals didn't get any. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's just awful. So <laughs> I think all of that is so boneheaded. But I'm even more stupid because I read the article. <laughs> I mean, every word of it. I'm sure one of our listeners is thinking that. <laughs> I didn't even skip any of them. I didn't go right to the Niners. I just read through them all. I read the Cowboys. I read the oh, Niners. Gosh. I read them all. You know, and someone's going to – those conspiracy theorists out there are going to say, this is the script that the NFL has, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're going to use it. Yeah, they want a bunch of no-name podcasters talking <laughs> about it. It's all, it's all genius from their point. We're talking about it. We are talking about yeah. it. And that means we'll turn, tune in and view, and that means we'll buy something that's probably advertised yeah. on the during the football game. And it's, uh, that's stupid. Mm -hmm. It's and real stupid. People spent their hard work and time. Yes. I can't uh, believe I read – I lost five <laughs> minutes of my life reading about all the wins and losses for each of the 32 NFL teams. I can't get yeah. those five minutes back. Well, when we do our fantasy team, I might ask you who actually yeah. play that day. <laughs> Speaking of another dumb thing <laughs> – the fantasy football, <laughs> by definition, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> I, I'm one to say that after every year of disappointment that I've played, I don't know why I still play it. <laughs> Not my idea of a fantasy. <laughs> it's only a fantasy, I guess, if you win it all it's, with money. It's hardly a fantasy. The one year I played fantasy football with my family and my niece, who's never watched an NFL game in her life, smoked me in one game that I had to play her team. Yes. It's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. Oh, and she never let me hear the end of it either. Oh, yes. I, had I beat a... Uncle John. I beat <laughs> Uncle John. He watches football all the time. <laughs> yeah, we had the same experience this year with some of our young adults. So yeah, it was a... embarrassing. I said, I'm done with this. 
Yeah. That's not my idea. My idea <laughs> of fantasy football is I win every game <laughs> and I get something for it. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. that doesn't happen in fantasy. <laughs> no. That's stupid as well. That is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. And to end the session, remember, make Christ known by what you say and how you live. Have a great week. Thank you all for listening. And be sure to subscribe to Upon Further Review so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions, please be sure to reach out to us at info at fieldstreet.com. Thanks for tuning in.